Whenever you Freddies are ready. Let's go. What's up, everybody? This is uh, Pat Flynn here on uh, Pints with Pat on another week of this. Um, Today, really excited. We got Mike Phillips with us. What's up? (laughs) A very, very good friend from uh, college. We both went to Kings Point Military School together. Um, I'm getting married this Saturday. Phil is a groomsman in my wedding. He is a frequent Jacksonville person. (laughs) Comes for Welcome to Rockville every year and other various events. To get drunk in Jack's Beach. Yeah. So uh, we're glad to have him with us. Cool. Welcome, Phil. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on, uh, because you took a very different career path than me. You went <laughs> active duty army right out of Kings Point. I just went to the uh, civilian world. So recently you got out of the army, but can you get us up to speed? Kind of uh, just give us a real quick recap of... Uh, Going to Kings Point, getting out of Kings Point, what you did in the Army, and uh, kind of up to speed on, you know, a couple months ago, right before you got out. Just just real quick. Okay. Um, yeah, went to Kings Point. Honestly, I was originally uh, trying to go to the Air Force Academy to be a pilot, and they ended up just giving me, because you have to get a congressional nomination to go to any of these federal service academies, so the... Uh, congresswoman just called my mom and was like, hey, you want a um, nomination to the Merchant Marine Academy, too? And my mom, no idea, and was like, sure, why not? So You, you probably no idea either. You probably said, what no, the fuck was that place? No idea. <laughs> um, and it's ironic because of the volume of people from Colorado that went to Kings Point, uh, pretty much for that same them. exact reason, is a lot of us trying to go to, because the Air Force Academy is in Colorado, uh, a lot of us trying to get in and then um what percentage of our class do you think wanted to go to a real service academy and ended up at king's point because uh, i'm another one yeah i wanted to go to navy and got rejected that's why i was at king's yeah point. there's probably a there's probably a good amount <laughs> yeah i mean because when we like when we first got there like during our plebe year or our freshman year um like everybody wanted to go active duty i don't know if you noticed <laughs> I that did. at all but like I came in. One of the reasons that I picked Kings Point is that they have a pretty um, easy track or less competitive track to be a pilot of some sort. I wanted to be a jet pilot. And coming in, everybody goes through like, hey, what do you want to do? And everybody's like, I want to be a jet pilot. I want to be like everybody. And I was like, oh, damn it. (laughs) Like, maybe this wasn't such a good thing. And then, you know, fast forward to our sophomore year when we go out to sea and stuff and then all of a sudden people realize how much money they can make uh, out sailing on boats and whatnot. And that number just starts crazy dwindling about how many people want to go active duty. And I think that our class was actually a pretty high percentage. I think we were like, so too. We're at like 40%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but typically it's, you know, 20, 30% that go the active duty route. And I would say that our class, the class of 2009, was probably the front runners for the Army program at Kings Point because one of the random things at Kings Point is you can branch any service that you want. So I ended up choosing Army because uh, the Navy said I could be Goose, and I didn't want to be Goose. <laughs> I wanted to be Maverick. So um, <laughs> ended up going in the Army. Uh, there was a there was a bit of a lull. Uh, I was at home for probably. I remember your lull. Yeah, I was. I worked. One uh, eight hundred got junk. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I 
uh, just to kind of, you know, fill some time. And then about a year later, I went down to Old Fort Rucker, Alabama, and did all my pilot training and everything there. Um, that was about a year and a half or so. Went right to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which is where I've done the majority of my Army career. Um, I went to Fort Bragg. Four months later, I deployed to Afghanistan for my first tour. Uh, came back, was was back for about two years, then got another free trip to Afghanistan. Um, did Was there for another uh, nine months or so, came back, uh, was back for a year, and then I got a free trip to Korea. And I was in Korea for nine months again. Uh, came back, went back to old Enterprise, Alabama, uh, City of Progress, shout out. <laughs> and uh, was there for six months or so and then went to Texas and rode it out there. And uh, yeah, about a week ago, I officially got out. That's and, crazy. Uh, have signed just shy of 10 years. And yeah, here I am now. What's really crazy about it to me um, is that no one can really fathom. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what's going through your head at this point, but no one can fathom that we started that military lifestyle when we were 17 years old. Yeah. And that's all you've known till now you're 31. I mean, that's a lot of fucking years of military regimented lifestyle. Yeah. <clears throat> so that shift is just, uh, I mean, how are you feeling about jumping into the civilian? Is it is it kind of intense at first? Is it uh, overwhelming? Or are you good? Or kind of where are you at with that? I mean, it is pretty nerve-wracking, to be honest. I mean, this is the first time I've ever not had to shave for, like you said, since we were 18. Um, first time I won't have to cut my hair every every second week, you know what I mean? Um, and I would say it's, a, it's definitely nerve-wracking. Uh, I mean, just... I knew this. I I could have ridden out the army. I could have done another ten years if I wanted to, um, but I just I just kind of felt like I was rotting away, and uh, you know I I wanted to do something different and just kind of live my own life a little bit. I got sick of you know the army's kind of notorious for having like very weird locations and you know not not exactly primo <laughs> primo areas to to live or whatever. So I just kind of wanted to do my own thing, choose, make some decisions for myself. So I remember when we first got out of school and you first went in and you went on your first deployment to Afghanistan during that employment deployment, you were flying helicopters. You flew a lot. Yeah. Right. So it probably won't, you know, equate to anything to you, but I flew over 700 hours in about eight months, which is, it's pretty significant. You're, I mean, typically, like a you know a heavy workload in a month that you're flying a hundred hours. Um, what did that What did that average out like in a week? Like what, in a normal week in Afghanistan? So like, what did it look typically like? Typically, I was flying. Um, I was flying six days a week. Usually, they tried to give you like an off day, and it's a full day because um, you know you you fly anywhere between four to eight hours to kind of. <laughs> depending on what, what kind of shit you get into. What kind of and, shit were you getting into, though? Was it like a patrol, or were you solely supporting guys on the ground when they called you in? So kind of a mix of both. Um, I, you know, there was, you know, the convoys going out. Actually, Derek Ventre came in. Uh, he's one of our buddies from school, uh, and he was on a convoy on the ground that I actually got to support, which was pretty neat. That is but, cool. 
Um, yeah, so if they were if they were running from town to town, we'd get to know them. And it was kind of, you know, they were, you know, each at their own little locations. And if they were going out and coming back, they kind of got to know us because my helicopter is pretty notorious for flying really low and, like, really interacting well with the ground forces. We kind of become, like, you know, a fifth truck to them, you know what I mean? And we're just a good eye in the sky. So they really like working with us. So we'll go out there and cruise, cruise around and help out the convoys. And then we also do a lot of you know, just straight reconnaissance where we're flying around the base, kind of looking for, you know, anybody doing any bad guy stuff or, um, you know, just just trying to pick up, you know, different patterns of life um, and so on. Just to, you learn to, like, see what is not normal and what is normal. So we did a lot right. of that, just kind of predicting the base a little bit and, uh, and so on, that protection thing kind of went up a little bit when that bomb went off that I've told you about it. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about that too. That's why I started with like your first deployment, but that was the first deployment, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but Ventre goes on a convoy. Is it just like SOP for you guys to be with them or do they have to like, no, they were getting a firefight first before. No, 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 not necessarily getting a firefight if they do that's So that's a lot of like responding that we do though. You know, the, uh, the guys, if we're not there, they'll call up a message to like our battalion and be like, Hey, we're in contact or something like that. And they'll launch us right away. And that was what was really good about my helicopters. We can be up in the air in under five minutes, which is pretty unheard of. And we could be out there and just, you know, just the sound of helicopters tends to scare people yeah. away enough that it'll, it'll get them out of whatever shit that they got into. Um, so yeah, a lot of times we'll run with them for a while. Then we'll go back and get gas and, kind of hang out because we have to balance our our flight time a little bit because there's restrictions and how much you can do a day so you kind of have to play that that yo-yo game of like oh maybe this is a bad area that they're going through and um you know we'll be with them there and then we'll let them go and then we'll come back and be with them a little bit so but that's that's deployment was why you got into the army in the first place you wanted to fly you wanted to be you know you wanted to be out there actually doing stuff so that deployment was like pretty much what you wanted. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was, that's I exactly was, why you went in in the first place. I was right? riding so high on the army. After that. <laughs> like, that was, that was, you were doing amazing. 20, you were fucking doing yeah. 20. If, if, if it could, if I could continue in that job and continue doing that, I mean, the, the being away would be annoying eventually, but that, <laughs> I always joke, like if there was a teleporter to bring me home on like Saturday and Sunday, I do that for the rest of my life. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was doing exactly what I wanted it to do, uh, helping out the ground guys a lot. It's you know it's a really good feeling. Camaraderie. Yeah, you, you you know you can you know hear it in their voices like oh they're they're here yeah and like it's a oh, good feeling. Oh we're good and just that you know they'll send us their videos or whatever of us like you know, <laughs> through and it, it's it pumps you up because yeah you, you can tell and like when you're driving along and. You know, they our call sign was Bam Bam, and they'll paint on the top of their trucks like oh, "We love Bam Bam" or something like that. Oh, that, that shit's that, cool. That pumps you up. So, yeah, I was riding high, <laughs> got back to Fort Bragg, and it just slow, <laughs> slow downturn. Well, I wanted, I did that story. Uh, obviously, I've heard it a couple times before, but I think it'd be really, really cool to tell on here, just because it's in a crazy account. And isn't the video still on fucking? 
Uh, yeah, live leak, I think. So af- like that. after, I know I don't know if there's any way we could do this. CJ. They can put the link in there, yeah. Yeah, put the link in definitely because <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin the story. Right but there's like he's about to tell this story, and there's a video of it happening so, on live leak that so the terrorists put up. <laughs> do you know like what it's titled? Uh, I could probably find it for you. I just okay. have to. We'll do it um, after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, have to. But yeah, tell us um, this story. Yeah, so it was pretty crazy. That it was one of the craziest times of my life. Anyways. So we we were going to lunch. Where was uh, the base? Where were you at? Uh, it's it's in Salerno. Okay. Um, was it in uh, Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of it's kind of the eastern border, right next to Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just cruising along, going to uh, going to lunch, and we just went a into, normal day. Yeah, totally normal. Nothing nothing really weird or out there or anything, and. Yeah, just went in, and halfway there, I realized I forgot my ID card, and I was pissed. <laughs> and because uh, you have to have your swipe your ID card to get food or whatever, so it's dumb. It's like, <laughs> I was gonna sneak on, like, not, no American's gonna come here to eat the crappy shitty food. army food. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, I ran back, and there was, you know, we were in a group of ten or something, because it's like a half mile walk to to go get food. So we all go together. Anyways, uh, I was pissed, so I went back, and then I hurried back, and yeah, the the chow hall is kind of like a T shape, um, like you walk in, and then there's a middle row, and then two side rows basically, and the first like the top part of the T is like where you would get food, um, or the the second part was like where like the salad bar and like the fried shit and all that was, and I was like. Nothing like really triggered me in the in the tea part, so I just cruised right through, <laughs> luckily. And um, fucking salad bar and shit. Yeah. Fuck so that. I went in, and I, I when I tell the story, I always remember they had like these folded up like bullshit quesadilla things, and I remember going to get the quesadillas, and all of a sudden they like whoosh, like flew up in my face, and a pretty big bomb. Or it's a you know um, it was basically a. If you ever see like a sewer tr- or a septic truck or whatever is full of like explosive and just like ripped at the top of the building off and it was not very far away and blew me into like a door and it was it was nuts. I always remember those stupid ass quesadillas like coming and attacking me. I'll never eat them again. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, really big building. Um you know, well, it, I would think the noise of something like that would be something that. So, so what's funny? Wrung your head. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen like Zero Dark Thirty or anything like that, but there's a scene in that movie where they're just eating at a hotel you seen it? or something no. like that. Me neither. Yeah, they're just eating at a hotel, just minding their own business. It's a normal scene, and then all of a sudden, an explosion goes off. Zero Dark Thirty is about basically the hunt for Osama bin Laden. And the chick CIA officer, or that like hunted him down over the course of ten years, and she's a badass. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I know about her. She's a badass, yeah, yeah. dude. It's a really good movie. Um, but anyways, in that scene, I saw that movie like right after I came back, and when that bomb went off, I like I rocked back in my chair and like shook the whole row of chairs because I was like, "Whoa!" This you is- saw it at theaters. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and. Uh, I was sitting with my buddy, and he kind of looked at me. He's like, "What are you?" Oh, <laughs> like exactly. But yeah, everything's the same. Like it's the movies do a pretty good justice. Like the ear ringing, the kind of like you're in a haze or whatever. I remember I was 
really looking for my hat. That was like <laughs> that was like my big thing. And because every time I go into the chow hall, I put you know put my hat in my pocket just like normal. But I was really fixated on like finding my hat, and I was like Hulk smashing around like where's my hat? And then I was like. <laughs> Oh, it's in my pocket, like it always is. And <laughs> so it's weird uh, that that was your biggest concern yeah, at that time. It was, it was at, well, actually, there's alarms that go off, um, like when the you know terrorists or whatever shoot mortars. Um, there's like a buzzing alarm that gives you a ten seconds or whatever to get into a bunker that, or uh, so you won't get hurt. And when that bomb went off, it set off that alarm. But all I heard right after it happened, I heard that thing going off. And I thought it was artillery that had come in and, like, hit the middle of the chow hall. And I was like, uh-oh, here's round two's coming. And I remember, like, sprinting and, like, you know, diving under a table kind of like this uh, just for some sort of cover. Just, like, you know, just straight Hulk smashing through chairs and everything. It just dove underneath and um but then i nothing happened because there was nothing else coming but what was it and it was so it was it was the alarm from the so the blast of the truck that blew up set off that alarm like a mortar was getting shot so it was there was nothing that happened but the base has a what did the truck do did it smash so there, through the gate yeah no not the gate there's the they call them they call them hesco barriers and basically they're gigantic bins that are full of like concrete pieces and they're probably as wide as this table and you know equally as long and they just fill them with concrete and you can't get through them but this truck just smashed into the side of it and it just happened that the you know the chow hall was pretty close to that and uh yeah man and there's got to be people like not that i'm trying to call out people that fucked up but probably people on watch all the way around that are supposed to shoot someone in the face if they're driving towards you yeah, really fast. Um, right? Yeah, it's hard because that there is there's towns around these bases, you know, so I mean you see trucks, you know, driving along all the time. It's hard to necessarily it's not right. like if he just decides to yeah, take a hard just, left. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they do they have to wait to be engaged upon as well? Or until they, uh, they recognize no, the threat? Not in that situation. I not mean if someone's coming to, at you. I they would think. have to recognize it. And it was it's so unheard of that, you know, it's very rare and you know, that was the time in the war where it's you're starting to get a little bit tighter and you have to have better justification and so on. Um for shooting so, people. Yeah, and and you know it was like I said, there's roads like right outside. I mean, there was a city right next to where we were at, so um, it's a little bit definitely security got quite a bit tighter after after that. But <laughs> so did they just like not get lucky, but to go by the Chow Hall? Did you think they like did some like recon about yeah. the best place to yeah, hit or so something? I'll show you that video. They, I mean, they just googled it. The cool they thing just... about that video, CJ, is mm-hmm. that it's the terrorists uploaded it. So Jesus. it's not like an army guy up. Right, there. right, right. They up, that's what I think is not cool, but it, interesting about the way the video is. They uploaded it. Mm-hmm. What's, what's cool is they're all dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck those dudes. <laughs> fuck those dudes. But, yeah, man. It was. What'd you say? They Googled it? Or you yeah, saying? they just they put a shitty projector up and just Google <laughs> mapped it. And, yeah, Google just, mapped yeah, it. Yeah. Jeez. And was like, oh, yeah, this isn't. They're idiots, but. You know, <laughs> You know, it was, it was semi-successful. Nobody died in it, so... Oh, I mean, really? No. I thought someone did. Mm-mm. Nobody died. That's great. That's amazing. That's awesome. Nope. And, uh, well, Anyone they, get they severely fucked up? Not really. 
good because it, it just happened that it was there was one the wall of hesco berries and then there was another one so i mean it it messed some people up and people got concussions and all sorts of shit like that but nobody died so that was cool but the biggest the craziest part of it is like we had there was like this back room that was kind of like an attachment that vips would come to and um <laughs> Me and everybody that we that I work with, we'd always go into that room when there was no VIPs. You're not supposed to, but we're dickheads, and we just go and uh, into that room, and it's just like a shitty like wood building. It just has like nice tables and stuff in it. And then when I forgot my ID, I was like, um, "Okay, I'll meet you guys in the VIP or whatever." And they're like, "Cool, cool." And uh, and then as I was going, and I was like, "Oh shit, that VIP." building is like probably demolished all my friends are probably dead in that room and i uh i like walked through and then i saw them in like in the other building and i was like whoa like you guys aren't in the you guys weren't in the vip and they were like yeah now some uh afterwards we were talking about it and he's like yeah some some random like chow hall worker was like, Hey guys, I get that. like, you can eat wherever you want, but can you not eat in here t- today? Or can you stop doing this? And they complied and they're like, okay, we won't eat in there. And they went and sat and like, and it was like a hardened cement building that they were in. So, none of so them they may hurt. have been blown up. If oh, yeah. they were in. Wow. Quite possibly. I mean that, that building was, or that attachment was just in splinters. So that's incredible. Yeah. The way that works out. Crazy, crazy story. All the little, I love all the little stories leading up to it of like forgetting your ID and then some, someone bitched at you and they were probably like, Oh fuck that asshole. (laughs) Sit in this fucking room and eat really saved him. That's crazy. Yeah. Super nuts. But yeah, that was the, that was probably the the craziest flew right after that. But flew was flying in the air about an hour later. Let's, but flying after that, like what, like what happens with the base? Like, what does everyone do? So, so yeah, remember I told you that our bird is like really fast at flying. So I actually got to experience like what it's like because I came out of the chow hall and when they blew the side of the wall, another truck, a terrorist came up to like attack the base and they got through like the first and they were wearing, um, they were wearing like, um, like the Afghanistan army uniform. So we thought they're initially you think that they're friendly cause they're like, we're training with the Afghanis or whatever. And, um, and then they started shooting RPGs and machine guns and, and all sorts of shit all, all at the chow hall. So like, as I was coming out, I was like and, taking fire too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I remember me and my buddy, we were standing behind a container and all we had is our pistols and we just had our pistols like wung around the container. Like, well, let's see what happens. And then, uh, um, I didn't know it got crazy like that afterwards too. And then, uh, yeah. And then we saw our helicopters just come over, come over the top and just rip across. And it was like, it was such an, and just light them up. And so they didn't, they did eventually, but because those guys were like on the base, they had to kind of figure out how to, how to get them. But just the fact that they were there was like, cause you could tell that the firing slowed down considerably because the helicopters were there and it was just like, Oh man, we're cool. We're good. And then I was like, buddy <laughs> to my friend, I was like, Hey man, we, we're not doing anything with pistols. We got to go get our long rifles or something. And, uh, so we like 
you know, sprinted and like bounded back because there was still gunfire and shit going off everywhere. So um, we made it back. And then at any point during that, like I know, I, I know how we went to school at Kings Point and we got gassed up over stuff. But at any point during that thing, are you like, Woo, fuck yeah, like so, run, or are you are you scared shitless the whole time? Like I, I can see it going both ways. So you I, know what I mean. I wasn't really scared. I was. It, it was kind of like when I told you I dove under the table. That's when I thought I could die. Um, <laughs> was going underneath that table, and then afterwards coming out. Like, like obviously we were. We didn't have to stop at that container with our guns. Yeah. We were just like, all right, let's let's rock and roll, because you know you just kind of want some like payback uh, a little bit, and that's why I went back to get our guns so that we could do it. Um, and so, yes, it was like that. You could tell like so many, like we, as we were running back, we'd go in the bunkers and like, you'd see, like you'd get in the bunkers and we're all like, <laughs> and you'd see people <laughs> just cowering in there like, yeah. oh, just like waiting for it to be done. And so, I, I mean, you do, you kind of see people's true colors a little yeah, bit in a situation I, I can like imagine. that. Um, because it, it's a very real possibility that they could have had a better setup and the base could have got overrun. If bros were just yeah. running like crazy, yeah, it would be you. it would be hard. Um, and but I, but it could have been that, more intense yeah. than it was, and you didn't know what mm-hmm. it was going to happen. Yeah, and yeah, at that point you think like, oh man, it's about it's a to shitload go. of yeah, them. it's a zombie yeah. apocalypse basically. <laughs> and so yeah, I think it does. I mean, I I do that flying. I would get like to the mentality of like, oh, let's do this. Like yeah, you know, when you get in engagements and you get to shoot at people and stuff like. <laughs> like that that amps me up <laughs> so on the helicopter are you the pilot are you the guy shooting the gun because my old golf coach nicholas robinson i'm sure you don't know there's a million people mm-hmm. he was the guy shooting the gun on the thing and he so, was telling me something really crazy stories yeah too. so it, 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 Middle it East depends he was? on it depends on the uh the helicopter it sounds like he was probably a door gunner and that's mm-hmm. on uh one of the so my helicopter didn't have that we only had two guys and it. it's really small um, and one guy flew and one guy was kind of like the navigation setting everything up. We have a, like a site on the top of our helicopter that, um, you know, like thermal imaging and stuff like that. So he runs that while the other guy flies and he would shoot. Yeah. So when all that's going on, it seems to me like that vulnerable feeling when you're, uh, are, do you feel vulnerable in the air in a helicopter or do you feel the total opposite where you're like, I've got superiority. I'm up here. So it depends on what they have. Typically, <laughs> I would say 99% of the time, I feel like, you know, I'm the big dick on the campus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple times where they got to jump on you a little bit and they're shooting at you with a big-ass gun that it's like, oh, shit, this is, this is getting real. This mm-hmm. is going to be a fight, you know, a straight fist fight to see who wins. And But most of the time, I mean, we have – a gigantic machine gun and rockets that are, you know, this long. To, Jesus. To, uh, to, Did the helicopter ever get hit with like just a couple bullets? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I only threw the tail fin once, but, um, yeah, I've had like AK 47. Yeah. I've had bullets. They like come through, like shoot past. And it sounds like that, like oh. just the water bottles. And you look outside and you see, uh, you know, hot dog sized tracer rounds, which are yeah, basically glowing rounds. You just see them like whoop whoop, and it's like whoa, that that was that was a. I did not feel like the. <laughs> did big you ever dick. have to? <laughs> I did not feel like the big dick. <laughs> did you ever have to like 
emergency land or anything? No, so I didn't. Um, I've I, there's been people that you know I've been around when people have had to do that, but no, I luckily never had to. That's I mean that's what you train for and all that stuff, but um, you know, luckily it didn't happen. And you know, it's like I said, typically when when they hear helicopters come. They run away. Yeah, dude. So, uh, because they know that they're not going to win that fight. Um, so, yeah. That's good. So, that deployment, sum that one up. I mean, some the crazy shit happened, but you loved it. Sucked ass. Yeah. So, I, I remember you through this whole thing. And you were almost like a different... We were almost... Di- we were different people. When you were driving to visit me back when I lived in Massachusetts, <laughs> right before you went on that deployment, we used to party a little bit harder back then yeah. than we do now. Yeah, just so- a little bit. <laughs> a simple Bud Light right now. <laughs> yeah. So, you came back from that deployment, and then did you-, you went right to Fayetteville, right? Yeah. Well, let's just go to... That's what you were doing on that deployment. What'd you do on the next one? Uh, so I was like an office guy, basically. Like, it was awful. Isn't that crazy? It was awful. It's so <laughs> it's, it seems like you don't, it's just like, okay, you're the office guy now. And you're like, all right. And but yeah, I mean, but there's some, makes sense because he's, he's got a full like combat deployment under his belt. So, you know, that adds a lot of value to now leading guys that are going to do true. that job. Very so true. So I see their mindset, but I see, you know, you don't really want to do that. Are you itching for more? You know what I mean? Like when you're not, so you get back from that first appointment, are you thinking, I cannot wait to get back out there and hand it to these motherfuckers? Or are you like, I could easily never go back there and be very happy? <laughs> oh, if I was on a, like, a deployment where I would be a combat, like we always joke, like tip of the spear or whatever, but like getting into it, I would do it in a heartbeat. I mean, um, what do you think that is? Uh, like, do you think it's specific to you? Cause I notice it seems like most people that get in, they deploy, they they're itching to get back. They want more. Is it the camaraderie and the experience and the intensity and just actually living life? You're living life, dude, in that moment. Like, that is as real as it gets. That's as close to, like, old school hunter and gathering stuff where you're, like, that, that is real, dude. And no one really gets to experience that in 2019. Very few people. Yeah. I would say that, um, you know, I, I really like the – we like, our big thing was going and helping out guys that are, like, in a shitty situation. So being able to get there and – stop the shitty situation and make sure that Americans got back home. I mean, that's what I would, that is what like would really pump me up to get out there. And, uh, it's, it's such an adrenaline rush. I mean, there's nothing, I couldn't fucking imagine nothing like it. So, I mean, that is definitely addicting. And, uh, I bet it is addicting. Yeah. It's an addicting feeling. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it sucks going, being gone for nine months, but like, you know, for those, when you're uh, 20, three though yeah yeah like i said that that first appointment that was i was loving it yeah and uh was very happy and yeah just came back and i was like oh man where did what did it start to happen like when did you when did they you stop flying and start being a manager was that like Uh, the very defined career path that you yeah so it kind of ebbs and flows so i say like an office guy basically you um you know there's you know it's there's like a big battalion, which is like, a, you know, an, a corporation or something like that. And then like the little companies that like carry out the mission of that corporation. So 
I went to the higher level to organize, you know, to make orders and instructions and stuff for the lower companies to, so we, we could all achieve our mission. And while it's, you know, you know, you definitely, I definitely had a impact in Afghanistan the second time. I mean, big time as far as organization wise, you just feel like a nerd, just like sitting, sitting behind my computer and just telling people what to do and not getting out there and, not being a part of the engagements or anything like that. You just like, man, this, this sucks to not, not be a part of it and just be sitting here on base. Do you know who Jocko Willink is? You ever heard his podcast or anything? Uh, I don't think so. So I recently, I recently read his book. Um, and he was over there and, uh, you know, American sniper, what's his name? Chris Kyle. Mm -hmm. So he was the commander of that seal battalion. Oh really? Yeah. And he wrote a big book about, how he was, I mean, he'd be out on the missions, but he wouldn't really be doing anything, you know, yeah. because he was doing what you were doing. Yeah. And he said, it, and this kind of blew my mind, just to get a mission approved up the chain of command, it took like a hundred fucking slides in a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation. So, and he'd sit on PowerPoint yeah. for hours yeah. and hours that's, and write that's, these yeah. huge descriptions of these missions mm-hmm. and have backup plans and this and that. And and then he'd send up to get approved, and they'd get denied. Mm-hmm. And he'd fix this fucking PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, that's, I get it, but it's mind blowing. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I mean, it's it's even harder for the seals because their you know their missions are so much more complex and risky. Basically, it all comes down to like risk and what you're what the higher ups are willing to accept and what they're not. And you do. I literally did PowerPoint like yeah, all the time. PowerPoint and, all the time. Um, do you, you have know, to present them too? Uh, yeah, I did at points because um, I had a, a guy above me that would brief it to the general who was in charge of Afghanistan. And a couple of times I had to like sit in on the like teleconference and be like, hey, here's our slides. And, you know. <laughs> um, What's up, nerds? Yeah. Here's so, our slides. So that, and I was a bank of probably. 50 heads on the screen that he saw and he's like well sounds like you guys are doing good and i was like roger that sir so, so it's crazy you go from like flying and like shooting rockets at terrorists to doing powerpoint yeah. presentations well the big thing was is that uh at first my helicopter was not supposed to go on that second deployment that i was on and then all of a sudden they got the green light to go which was a big deal and i was like oh hell yeah i'll go because i'll just go and fly with those right. dudes we got there three months later they went home and i was like <laughs> oh man i'm here for another six months um but i bought my truck that was the only yeah. thing that i was like looking forward to um but it was good i mean it teaches you it definitely like opened my eyes and to do that like kind of desk work paper pushing job um it's definitely the most exciting in afghanistan so it's it like went the fastest and it didn't seem like nonsense it was actually going something somewhere you weren't just like practicing for the hell of it you were actually i mean this was real life stuff that people were doing um so that was rewarding i suppose just watching the kind of being the puppeteer and like watching watching it come to fruition was cool enough but but yeah so then you come back and is it does it continue to go i mean it comes down to personality types too because you you liked being out there actually doing it I'm sure there's some people that don't like that mm-hmm. as much as being the guy that's the puppeteer mm-hmm. coordinating everything. There's guys that love that too. Mm-hmm. So your personality type is just the opposite. So continue your army career. Does it get more towards the paper pushing and the, yeah, the it does. Checkbox so, checks so the in? next, the next big step was me being a commander. 
which was basically you're in charge of like 40 guys and 10 helicopters. That was what, you know, you're in charge of that. Everything that happens in that little, you know, company or troop revolves around you and it's all your decisions. So pretty big responsibility level. I mean, you have millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the, you know, they say that that's the most rewarding job. It's the toughest job, but it's also the most rewarding because you have a lot of impact on people. Um, you know, you can, you can actually, you know, change the direction of an organization. Um, so you just, it's Take it from very, shitty to good. Yeah. Yeah. Which I did. And that's, that's a good feeling. And where were you doing that? So I did it. I went right when I got back from Afghanistan, the second time I, I took command. And that was one of the reasons that I stayed in Afghanistan. It was kind of a deal. Like, oh, you stay here for a while and we'll give you, give you command. I remember that. Command in the, cause my helicopter is retired, but Fort Bragg was the last unit to have them. So I really wanted a command at Fort Bragg. So I worked out the deal and got that. But yeah, uh, did it. Was in the states for like a year and then went to Korea. I can imagine that if you're a command of something like that, the guys, the lower end guys, kind of look at you like a fucking god. Right? Yeah, I mean, it, yes. I think I don't know. That that's another thing about the army that I, I don't know. It's when I was even I was a grade below them. I looked up to them like it. So I was a lieutenant to a captain, which is just really a difference of two years yeah and i looked at them like they knew everything <laughs> and now i i kind of noticed that um you know people are it's kind of like the entitled thing and like i'm right and like all this new like generational attitude and it kind of like shifted a little bit like there wasn't quite a, there was definitely respect there um but it wasn't kind of that awe that right. that i had why but, do you but think you, that is but so. you went to yeah, I, I like that question too, CJ, but I want to add this. You went to military school where you learned that respect. Not mm -hmm. everyone does. And the fact that I think that's what you just said about you looked up to these people like in awe, like they know everything. That's true like in every case in life. It's true in business too. Yeah. You look at someone and you're like, wow, they're so successful. They know so much. Really, that's not the case. It's, it's me looking at you, man. Everybody. Yeah, they're, like, <laughs> yeah. they're like two years ahead. Basically. But everybody, uh, it, I, I'm sure this isn't the first time it's been said. I've read it before that you don't give yourself enough credit and you give other people too much credit. Mm -hmm. And that's true with everything. Um, but yeah, continue on with that. I, I, I get what you're saying. So what you were saying, the respect was different. And I'm 26. I'm sure I'm part of that generation yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> but no, it's true in this way where like, I'll admit it. The way that I look at old people, not in like a disrespectful way, like that's not what I'm saying, but like I, the way the world's changing, like it's so modernized and it's now. So I don't think that just because this person's old and has lived a wise life that necessarily their ideas are correct. And this is on a total different level with what you're doing they should fucking respect you. It shouldn't even be a question. <laughs> yeah. But why do you think that is? That I, th these I, I really think that it's just come down to, like, there's no more, like, tough love anymore. Um, basically, like, you know, going back to football, like, hey, you're a piece of shit. Fix yourself or you're off the team. Now it's like, oh, man, you're doing great. Keep, keep, that's what maybe, I was talking maybe about, Maybe change Pat. this thing. And, that, and that's – it was – I noticed that I had to change it, particularly dealing with my, like, younger soldiers. Early 20s. Like, yeah, that I couldn't just – 
like walk up to him like, hey, idiot, stop being an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Gen Z. So this whole like millennials end in 1995 so or 96. So – the kids that get – we talk about all this college campus and all this political correctness <laughs> stuff. That starts when these kids who were born in 97 get to college. It's documented. Yeah. It's a fact. There's no safe spaces. There's none of this uh, dumb – I don't – dumb – I don't whatever. There's not all this overly political correct stuff until Gen Z. And everyone thinks it's the millennials, yeah. which is yeah, us. Yeah. And it, yeah, pretty, it really is all of us. Yeah. I think technically I'm – Even yeah, fucking Jane is a millennial. I didn't know that it was <laughs> – Boom. 93 shit yeah i'm 92 but, uh, yeah no i just think it's just kind of the that you know the absence of you know back in the day you look at old school army or old school marine corps like you had an issue or somebody wasn't uh you know listening to you or whatever you tell your first sergeant to go take him out back and beat the shit out of him <laughs> and then he starts listening to you and i personally react really well to that i've played football all my life mm-hmm. um you know i'm a like, it just motivates me, like, when somebody's like, hey, you know, quit being an idiot. And then I'm like, oh, man. Like, somebody thinks that I'm, you know, not doing – I'm not living up to my potential or whatever. And I really respond to that. And it's hard having to evolve to people that will just totally shut down if you, um, you know, come at them hard or whatever. It's just, it's just hard. And then I would, like, wrestle with the internal battle of, hey, should I have to, like – you know, coddle them or whatever, right. or should I, I feel like I should be able to just to yell at them. And I, I'm sure not everybody loved me. Cause I was kind of, I never really yelled at people, but like my thing was, I'd just be sarcastic and kind of make you feel dumb. And hopefully that would fix it. And typically that worked. <laughs> you know, it's really crazy. I was talking to Pat before my roommate was in the Navy and he quit. And I, it's like listening to you talk is like having the same conversation from when me and him were sitting in our like you'll find it. you'll find a lot of people because uh, like right around my age group is when people decide to stick it out or um, or not, and you'll find that you know they you just kind people just got like get kind of sick of it and exactly um, and all these meetings about uh, what you can and can't say <laughs> now and how to yeah that, it's, that, especially it's, it's it's a little terrifying like watching all the all the changes and. Um, you know, even the army starts to change and uh, we got to draw the line somewhere like this is our military <laughs> and it needs to be not it needs to be as hardcore and exactly it, it, that's what it is. You can't have some soft military mm-hmm. because this fucking kid who probably just joined to get the money is offended that you called him a bitch when he's being a yep. bitch. So I I'm not. I'm not a crazy Trump fan. I'm not a crazy Trump guy, but he said something in the debates that really hung with me because they asked about like transgenders in the military or something like that. And Trump's response was that the military is built to smash things and blow stuff up. It's not a fucking social experiment. Exactly. There's something to be said about that. I'm all for fucking civil rights, blah, blah, blah. I don't give a shit about any of that. But the military is not the place for a social experiment. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would agree. And it, it, it just, yeah, for me, it just got tedious, and I just wanted to try something else. So I'm, I mean, full disclosure, I'm applying to like National Guard and stuff like that. Like, but when you still... were making that decision of like, that is a tough because they Army designs their whole career based on knowing you can get out in ten years mm-hmm. and knowing that you know 
if you could get out in 10 years, but they obviously don't want you to. They want you to stay for 20. So they base their career and incentives on keeping you in. Yeah, I mean, major, making major, making the next pay grade for me. So I'm an 03, you know, senior, senior 03. This, I would have made major this year. And then, you know, you're, then you're making six figures. Right. And huge um, jump. Yeah, it's a it's a big jump, and that's the carrot. There's always a carrot with the army, always, like, right? Like something like, oh shit, maybe I'm, and like <laughs> I do want that. And uh, and there's that thing of like you've put so much time into it, you've done so much training, you've earned all these <laughs> certifications. <laughs> it's like, man, and like in the back of your mind, you'd be like, I'm gonna throw all this away. You're mm-hmm. not really throwing it away, but you can think like that. And that's you know how that I mean? that's how the airlines are getting all the military pilots. Is they're like. I mean, yeah, you could stick around for another 10 years or we could give you this $40,000 check and you could just come yeah. fly airplanes. Well, that's good. That's a and, good carrot. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all what they want. But and, uh, still, you, you mean you really liked the Army right out of school. Like what? How did you make the decision and how did you finally end up with the decision you made? Just keep, walk us through like that's a really fucking hard life decision. Probably one yeah. of the harder ones you've yeah. had to make ever. Yeah. So what? how did you go about making that decision and what were some tactics you used to do it? Well, I think that, um, my goal was to be a commander. Like you were talking, like we were talking about earlier to have those 40 dudes, uh, pretty close knit group, you know, a small organization to where I knew everybody. And, you know, I knew, you know, tidbits about their life. I'm not great at that, but, uh, you know, knew enough to at least, um, you know, have a conversation with them daily and that would that was it. A lot of people get in. I mean, there's another higher level commander when you make 05 that a lot of people aspire to, and that's the 20 year mark. When it, when you're done with that, that's typically when you've hit 20 years. And I just didn't really aspire to to doing that. I like I liked the level that I was at, and really had no desire to go to the next level. And the army is very much. Uh, an up organization like you can't stay you have to continue to progress to um you know levels of you know increased responsibility and that's i mean it's effective for the army because the army's a big wheel that's got to keep rolling and they kind of keep replacing the people that they they promote so they don't let you you know stay at a job and that's the job that i really wanted to do and then i was like oh i mean i don't i just didn't want to be um you know, the, the next officer level, it was just, I'm getting more and more towards like heavy on the paper side and yeah. not on the flying side. And the flying has, was always my like release in the army. It was always my, you know, like, Oh, I had to spend six hours at the desk, but tomorrow I get to fly for six hours. Right. So that'll be awesome. And I'll just get to relax. Cause it's gotten to the point where it's just relaxing and fun to go, um, hang out in a helicopter and it's just that's going to slowly start to fade and not be not flying would not be a priority and that's what i got in the army to do is to fly and so um i just it sounds like you kind of already had it you know you knew you didn't want to take that next step and keep going and continue on with the paperwork so you kind of already made the decision so it made it yeah it did it did make it i've kind of known all along that i didn't i mean there was other options too probably people chirping in your ears too yeah yeah. superiors friends i mean you get you get evaluations every year you get you know those superiors that really like you and tug you along everywhere and they're like 
you're, you're going to be a good leader. You're what, like what the army needs to succeed. And I don't necessarily doubt that. I don't, I think that I would have been a good army leader. I just, I just didn't want to do what they, you know, that next job. I just, but how did you, how did you block that talk out and like, listen to yourself more? Cause that's not, <laughs> you're, you're just glossing over it, but I feel like that's really hard when you, these people that are ahead of you and they're older than you and they're mm-hmm. great leaders, they are looking at you and being like, no, stay in. This is the right decision. You're going to be fucking awesome. You're going to kill it. Like, how do you I think get what that it, out and stay true to what you want? I think what it was, I mean, the scariest part is like getting another, for me, is getting another job to be able to pay for that big, big, stupid trailer that I have and like <laughs> uh, everything like that. That's, that's what's most nerve wracking to me. And honestly, there's, there's pretty good success stories of all of my friends like getting out. I would say that of like my group of, you know, officers that I came up with, I'm probably the last one to pull the trigger and getting out. So oh, okay. you make it, you make it sound like I'm a bold innovator or something like that. <laughs> I've really, I'm really kind of like sat back and bided my time a little bit to watch other people and see how like they were successful. Um, Do you have any like, I don't know if guilt is the right word, but like not being out there. Uh, I would if another like if another conflict happened, it would be hard for me not to not to join back up. Do you think I'm you sure would? They, I'm sure yeah. they take you in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think like, I would. Just got a couple more questions for cool. you, Phil. Uh, what do you think? What has been the hardest part so far? I know. Uh, I know I was texting you through the whole time when you were leaving and everything, and I know we were joking about it, but I know I know it wasn't easy. Um, what do you think was the hardest part of getting out so far? And I know that you've, you're kind of still in the honeymoon phase right now where you just got out and you're like mm-hmm. figuring it all out and it's like party time for a few months. What was the most difficult part? And like, what do you have on your mind right now? And I guess you already have school set up and everything, but there has to be some challenge to actually signing that paperwork. Yeah. The, I mean, the hardest part was submitting the paperwork yeah. to get out. That was, uh, it's a big packet. Um, <laughs> it was, it was nerve wracking and I put it off for a long time. Like I could have been out six months ago Yeah, and I just, I don't know. I, I just didn't pull the trigger on it. And, um, definitely like just signing that paperwork and getting it together and then just getting out. I mean, I just had so much stuff and, um, it was overwhelming. Like just to, you, I've been in one place for like a year and a half and then just having to move and vacate it was much more difficult than I thought it would be. I think I texted you a couple of times on that, just like all the stuff. And because I'm in the RV, I had to sell a bunch of my stuff and that took forever. And it was just not, I don't know. It was annoying, but, um, so the hardest part, yeah, was actually submitting my paperwork. Um, now I'm just, you know, now I'm, I'm nervous in the fact that, cause I could have started this school earlier so I'm nervous that I took I was too against much. that. Too, I know you were. <laughs> um, I've, I'm nervous that I'm like taking too much time off, and then my money's going to run out, and uh, and so on like that. So I I get very nervous about like the the money aspect of it. So yeah, that's that's the hardest part, and I just get nervous that like the whole school is going to fall through, and then. Right. I'm going to be like, oh, shit. The whole no. world's going to go to shit. Yeah, Bird's going to take a dump on your head. Yeah. I, I, I am very nervous of it. Because it was so, the Army was so steady. Like, 
I think right. it'll really hit in on the 31st of May when I receive my last Army paycheck. So the, the steadiness is we the, just... scariest, the scariest part. Uh-huh. Uh, the fact that you're the scare, the unknown is scary, right? Yeah. So we um, were just talking last pints with Pat about would you take $250,000 a year to work a job to do that uh, office style job in the army or you don't know, but you get to go after whatever you want to do in life? Uh, I think. I think that would take the second option. I mean, it's very enticing, the, the 250 grand. I mean, obviously, that's very enticing. But um, it's very important to me, like, doing something that I like. I don't want to be stuck in an office. I want to I want to be out there and enjoy work because I'm going to have to do it for another, you know, 10, 15 years or however long. Right. And I have to enjoy it because I've been in situations where I don't enjoy it and – it's the worst thing on me and yeah. your situation now though is you know almost an advantage that you don't have i mean you worry about money but really it's just like how much fucking money do you really you know do you need yeah you don't have a wife you don't have a kid at this point or anything like that so now's the time to do exactly what you're doing mm-hmm. and establish yourself and do it that's why it's exciting i think it's brilliant too the way that like you worked you got a whole bunch of experience you, I'm sure, are a totally different person now than you were before yeah. the army. For the total, oh, it's definitely better. Mm-hmm. And now you have some money. You are an adult. You're not immature. You know what you want. Now you can do it. You know, yeah. there's so many kids who like, you're 18 and mm-hmm. maybe you're blessed with money and you start going after your dream and then you realize it's not even what I really want. You know what I mean? It's like cool that you've lived a life and now you're ready to live the next part of it. Yeah. You no, know what's crazy about the human mind too is like the fact that you're a little nervous of the unknown and like getting a job and everything falling through. You have like fucking 10 plus years of leadership managerial experience as an army officer. I'd hire you Not, in a second. And you have flight training and you have like blah, blah, <laughs> blah, 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 like certifications out your fucking ass. And you're a nice dude. <laughs> and you have like any worry of going. And I mean, you could fucking go anywhere, you know what I mean? And, and work and get a job that's, that's pays well and whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's the least of your worries. And it's cool that you're not just settling for something like that, that you're reaching to what you want to do, which is fly, which I think is cool. And it'll, I'm sure it'll work out. Whatever you do, it'll work out. Do you think when you were 19 or 18, whatever, you would have taken the 250 grand or do you think you Mm. still were wise enough at that young age? I don't think I would have. I think that I would, I would, yeah, I think it's too important to me to like, you know, to have something that's really cool. I mean, I'd probably, you know, I'd take significant less money to do something. I mean, I, it, it, a helicopter pilot plays less than, um, you know, what I made in the army and it pays less than being an airline pilot, but it's still, you know, up there in the top of my list because, I like flying helicopters. So that's a, you know, this has been a weirdly talking about generations in this, but like, that's a big thing with millennials. I've noticed that we want to do what we want to do (laughs) in terms of going after what we want. Not with the generation before us so much. I think the generation before us, vast majority are taking that 250 grand. Yeah. With us, the vast majority are chasing their dreams. I mean, if you just 
look around. Most people either are trying to be a musician or an artist and doing Mm -hmm. all this like dream chasing stuff that the older generation would see as being like not really tangible way of like living a steady life at all. But I'll say this, that the reason people get pissed at the millennials, it's fine to do what you, what you want to do and chase your dreams. But what, what a lot of them don't realize and why people get pissed off at them is a kid that wants to be an artist on Instagram thinks that he can, he should be able to make a hundred grand a year posting pisters on Instagram, putting no work in (laughs) having no fucking experience whatsoever. Like it's fine to do what you want, but a lot of people don't realize the work it takes, the shitty part that you have to eat in order to get to what you want. Like to, to be a helicopter pilot, I'm sure sitting at two in the morning, studying fucking books, learning a bunch of multiple choice questions that don't help you at all is not fun or enjoyable. No, the end goal is enjoyable. And people, a lot of people nowadays aren't willing to sacrifice that little bit. They need to sacrifice to get to where they want to go. Everyone thinks like, Oh, I'm just going to go viral. Yeah. I'll just, I got this. I'm a, I'm an artist. I got a painting. I'm going to make this painting. It's going to go viral. Yeah. And it doesn't. Or I want to be a helicopter pilot. Why are they making me go to school <laughs> yeah. and take orders first? Yeah, why, it's fucking why, bullshit. I, should I just, want to fly helicopters. I should do what I want. I should just be doing it. Bullshit. This, is, <laughs> this is all such a waste. Yeah. 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 So It is crazy. But good episode, guys. Great episode. Thanks I for will it. say, though, Pat, like you watching you, you know, make this whole evolution and like kind of, I mean, that was, it was definitely inspiring to watch as somebody who's, who's really thinking about changing careers. I know that you talked to another one of our friends that is an army guy and like really just like, Hey man, just take the leap. Like you can do it. I can do it. And like watching that, I mean, it was, it was encouragement for people to, you know, or for, you know, people that know you to be like, Oh man, maybe I can just do what I want and, and so on. So, um, it's been cool. And it's been really cool watching like your guys' podcast and (laughs) as you guys grow, like, I I really don't have a ton of interest in you know doing real estate or anything like that, but I watch I love watching your guys' stuff. And, awesome man, thank you. Um, like going through it and you talking and you know just kind of bullshitting. It's right. It's fun and it's the fly on the wall. You know what I mean? Yeah, Everyone yeah, yeah. loves to feel like that. Yeah. So and cool. we're doing it like not fake is what I like. like Dude, that's we're being why I ourselves work here. on here, and that's why it's. I think that's why it's working. That's the biggest selling point for me when I started working here was I after hanging out with you when we got coffee that first day, I mean, if you weren't a genuine dude, I would have found out within the first hour and a half of hanging out with you. You know what I mean? I'm pretty good at reading people. And then to come in here and see how genuine you are. Same with Kyle. It's like, y'all are awesome. I'm just lucky. You know what I mean? Like I'm really lucky to work here because y'all have the same idea as I do where it's not about, let's grow this thing and get a bunch of sponsorship and stuff. It's about, let's make great content. Yeah. And you guys seem excited to work. You seem excited to do this. That's and, the best um, fucking part about it, man. Is yeah. That the days me and Nick were talking about the other day, the days go by fucking fast. <laughs> Watching your videos. And you're like, what day is it? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like, great. I, I know awesome. that. I know that feeling of being so wrapped up in work that you have no idea what day it is. Yeah. And that does make life go by fast. And it's typically, Usually something that you enjoy because you're devoting so much of your life to mm-hmm. to that. But it is funny. Well, thank you so much, man. That was awesome. Cool. Yeah, Great well, conversation. Thanks for that having me good. on. All right, everybody. Um, please go to yellowbirdconnect.com. We have the Connect event this Thursday, the first Thursday of April. It's going to be awesome. We got Dan. Dan Catan. 
Danny Catan, sorry. Dan Catan's coming in. He's going to speak. Kyle's speaking. We got a, it's going to be a really good one. So check out Yellowbird Connect and follow Pat on Instagram at Pat Flynn Homes. Follow me on Instagram at CJ Couch Talk and follow Yellowbird at Yellowbird Connect. Thank you all so much, and we will talk to you next week. Cool, man. Cool.